1: Hey guys and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa.
0: Hi, Mandy. How are you?
1: Doing great.
0: Great. Good to see you. We haven't seen each other for the last hour and a half. I know. (laughs) We just finished recording our Patreon episode for August. Yay! Yay! Yeah, um um it was it's a really good one. It's a long. It's
1: about long an hour and a half. Episode. It's a real long. Uh one. yeah, we just covered the um Robert Durst story or case as seen on the documentary that is like 6 hours long, The Jinx. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that we took 6 hours and made it into an hour and a half because it was long, but it's yeah. really really good. So, yeah, it is really good. So if you're interested in hearing our take on that, Very, very interesting case. Um, You can pop on over to Patreon. Patreon.com
0: slash Moms Murder Podcast. Correct. Thank you. So, Mandy, let's get
1: right into it this week. All right. Uh, So, this week's episode was a suggestion out of our Facebook group by Alex N., who thought we would have an interesting take on this bizarre murder that has one of the strangest defenses I have ever heard of, which makes total sense because the story comes to us from... The bizarre defense's capital of the U.S., <laughs> Florida. Yay! <laughs> we love our fine state we do. and all of the shenanigans that happen here. So this time we are visiting the town of Indian Atlantic, which is unfortunately only about an hour and a half from where we're sitting right now. So, Melissa, did you Google this city?
0: So what happens if one time I just say no, I didn't? <laughs> we're going to stop recording, and you're going to have to um, Google it. on Google this city. <laughs> I just love how you worded it. It's perfect. So, Indian Atlantic, the official name is Indian Atlantic by the Sea, but they go by Indian Atlantic for obvious reasons. Uh, the name comes because Indian Atlantic is between the Indian River Lagoon and the Atlantic Ocean. Ocean. Good job. <laughs> so, as of 2010, there were 2,720 residents um Indian atlantic is close to melbourne florida but Indian atlantic is only actually 1.3 square miles and 0.35 miles of that is in water so there's like one square mile like less than one square mile it's crazy <laughs> it's not yeah i've never heard anybody say they're from there melbourne no. yes, but never that no yeah yeah, no. I don't even think I actually knew it was a real place. Yeah. <laughs> so another interesting fact is that each year between May and October, the mother sea turtles swim to the Indian Atlantic shores, building nests and laying eggs. This is very varmints I feel like we're on varmints Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it takes approximately two months for the eggs to hatch, after which the baby's sea turtles fixate on horizon lights and crawl towards the sea. So the interesting thing is, like, they come to that spot. They don't want to go any further. They're like, that is their home, and somehow they all know to go there, which I thought Aww. was really, really cool. Yeah. And the last fact, interesting or not, you decide. Um, while there are only 11 officers in the Atlantic, including the chief of police, the officers on average are able to respond to a call within two minutes. Which you should be if your town's only one square mile. Yeah. Where are you going to be? <laughs> I'm sorry, I was on the other side of the mile? I mean, yeah. <laughs> what can you do?
1: So there are four key players at the center of today's story, two family marriages, an affair, and a premonition of the bludgeoning death of a beautiful
0: and talented nurse named Kelly Brennan. So Kelly Brennan was the kind of person that anyone would want to have in their life. She was a wonderful daughter and sister to four other sisters, as well as a loving aunt to four nieces and nephews. When she married her husband, Gino Rallo, she became a loving stepmother of two children. When it came to her career, Kelly worked very hard and dedicated her life to her profession, which was nursing. She worked as a recovery nurse at Holmes Regional Medical Center and was highly regarded by her patients as well as her co-workers. She was extremely dedicated to helping others and even volunteered her free time as a recovery room nurse for medical mission work in Morocco, where she worked alongside ISMS, Operation Kids, and helped over 60 children in just 10 days. P.S. For my reality show friends, Morocco, 90 Day Fiance as on a Nicole. So sorry, How to bring that in. I just have the most blank stare <laughs> right now. Day <laughs> Fiance, they go to Morocco. It's amazing. I love it. Kelly had a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, but she did not let that slow her down. She was way more active than I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, co-workers said that she would work through her flare-ups with little complaints, and eventually she used her hobby as a cyclist to start raising money for MS by bike riding, which eventually led to the creation of a cycling group called Kelly's Heroes. In addition to cycling, Kelly also loved kayaking and all other outdoor activities. She was often on the go, taking her joyful spirit and contagious sense of humor with her.
1: Unfortunately, this is where the story takes a tragic turn. On February 15, 2010, Kelly failed to show up for an appointment with her personal trainer and attempts to reach her were unsuccessful. Around two hours later, Kelly's roommate reported her missing. Friends, family, and police were all on the lookout for Kelly. Kelly, They checked all the local hospitals and got the highway patrol involved, but she had vanished without a trace and nobody had seen or heard from the 46-year-old nurse. Then an unnerving 911 call came in and a woman named Margaret Byers was on the other end and she sounded nervous and scared as she told the operator that her daughter appeared to be having some type of nervous breakdown, and that she had been rambling on all this nonsense about how she had this dream or vision in which everything was mostly black, but she could see Kelly's face as well as the sign for Mark's Landing, which was a beachside residential neighborhood in Melbourne, Florida, just up the road from Indy Atlantic, as we said before. The woman who claimed to be having these clairvoyant visions was no stranger to Kelly Brennan. Her name is Sheila Trott, and she had a long history of friendship with the missing woman. Sheila, who was a Canada native, loved the water and moved to the Florida coast and became a diving instructor while she went to college. The two had met 20 years prior to Kelly's disappearance and had been the kind of friends where you could just go years without um, seeing or speaking to each other and then when you talk to them again, you just instantly pick right back up where you left off. When the two women first met each other, Sheila was working three jobs to help her husband Daniel go through flight school to become an airline pilot. And Dan was what some people would call a narcissist, Uh, but Sheila was head over heels in love with him, and the couple was married in August of 1989. The couple went on to have two sons named Creighton and Graham. While Kelly had begun her journey into nursing, Sheila became a real estate agent, and her husband Dan did earn his wings as an airline pilot. Another little fun fact about Dan, uh, he was also into politics, and he was elected mayor of Indy Atlantic, and the two were considered a power couple, and they were well-to-do and seemed to have a perfect life. A town that size doesn't need a mayor
0: do they? Listen, there's a town that has a dog as a mayor, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it says, like, a whole it's lot. interchangeable at this
1: yeah.
0: point to me. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's one thing we've learned while doing these sort of stories is uh, people that have a perfect life uh, doesn't. Don't always have that perfect life. Like you think they do, (laughs) they don't. Um, There were plenty of trouble in paradise for Sheila and good old Danny boy. He began having affairs, apparently multiple affairs, and Sheila would notice that he would take his wedding ring off and leave it on the counter. By January of 2009, after years of infidelity, Sheila decided that she'd had enough, and according to her, she asked him for a divorce. During this troubling time in Sheila's life and marriage, she met up with her old friend Kelly for a girl's night out. Sheila claims that during this dinner date, Kelly confided in her that she was also having marital problems with her husband, Gino, and she allegedly told Sheila that she, quote, wouldn't care if her husband had an affair, which Sheila said that she felt was a very strange thing for Kelly to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that would be a strange thing for your friend to say. Yeah, it would be.
0: (laughs) Eventually, Dan moved out of the home he shared with Sheila, and he just happened to join Kelly's cycling group. After spending time together cycling, Dan and Kelly began seeing each other outside of the sport and their relationship turned into a full-blown affair, which the two of them both adamantly denied. At this point, Kelly was still actually married to Gino.
1: So this brings us back up to February 15th, 2010, uh, the day that Kelly went missing. While police and family were stumped as to her whereabouts, Sheila was exhibiting some very bizarre behavior that did not go unnoticed by her two sons who were 18 and 16 years old at the time. According to Creighton and Graham, Sheila had stated that she was going to Walmart and would be back later. It was between 6 and 7 p.m. when she left the house. Four hours passed and when she returned, the boys became concerned when Sheila stated that she was dizzy. And they said that she was shaking and acting strangely. She was banging her head on walls and just not acting quite right. So Creighton's girlfriend dialed 911. When the paramedics arrived, they could not find any physical cause for uh, Sheila's symptoms. And after confirming that she was not in any sort of medical crisis, they left her at her home. But just an hour later, another 911 call was made and a female voice was recorded saying, quote, My boyfriend's mom had a seizure about an hour ago. And they said to call back if she's been acting weird or anything, and she's acting very strange. This time, the paramedics came and took Sheila to the local hospital where she underwent a slew of tests that revealed absolutely nothing insightful about her unusual behavior. Sheila was released from the hospital in the twilight hours of February 16th, but the absolute weirdness did not end there. Sheila went to her bedroom where she claimed to have fallen asleep, but was awakened by an interesting dream. She called for her son to come into her bedroom where she hysterically told him that she'd had this terrible nightmare in which she could see Kelly's face in the dark, the sign for Mark's landing, and she started saying all these things like, I think I hurt Kelly, or I think I may have hurt someone, or she was just going on and on about this Basically confessing. (laughs) Basically (laughs) confessing. But this is her whole thing. She just dreamt this. She didn't
0: actually do it. She just dreamt it. Right. So the boys, who were obviously horrified by what their mother was saying, decided to call their grandmother, Margaret, who rushed over to the home to check on her daughter and grandsons and to find out more about what was going on. When she arrived, Sheila was curled up in the fetal position on her bed, shaking uncontrollably and carrying on about this vision or dream that she had about Kelly. Once again, a 911 call was placed from inside of Sheila's home. This time, her mother was on the line telling the operator that they needed a policeman because her daughter had some sort of a nervous breakdown and was stating that she believed she had murdered someone. I felt really bad for her mom at this point. Yeah. Because the mom, as this goes on, the mom, like, obviously using those words, it's going to come up Yeah. later. <laughs> it's, you know, and you're the one that said that she's saying these things, so... When the operator asked for more information, Margaret stated that Sheila had said Kelly's name and that she was killed down at Mark's Landing. Police rushed to the home to speak to Sheila, who was still rambling on about her vision. They were instantly suspicious of Sheila's story, and once they connected the dots that Kelly Brennan was the woman who had been reported missing the night before, they believed they had a homicide on their hands and that Sheila was the murderer responsible for it.
1: How weird would this be for the police officers, um... I mean, I guess it's not really that weird because immediately you're just thinking like, okay, well, you did something to this woman. Like, you know, but I just think it's very strange to be like to have, you know, to call your family members in and get, you know, get them all upset and worried and get them to call the police. And you're just going to go with this story that like you dreamt up something bad happened. Right, and then also say like the exact location where yeah. like it happened. Like it just seems weird to me. Like why bother going through all that? Just just confess. Yeah, <laughs> like,
0: you know, it, it almost seems like, in my opinion, if she was guilty, that um, that it was like she had to get it out. Like she wanted. Like maybe that's just her personality or whatever. Like yeah. she has to get this out of her. But then it's like I still want to distance myself from, yeah. from the situation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I mean, totally bizarre. I've never heard anything like this. Yeah.
1: So the officers wasted no time getting a chopper in the air to fly over Mark's Landing looking for any signs of Kelly. It didn't take long before they spotted what appeared to be a leg sticking out of bushes in a wooded area. And when they got on the ground and searched, they were able to confirm that it was, in fact, the body of Kelly Brennan. They immediately noticed that all of her injuries were on her head and they believed that she had been beaten to death with what they assumed was likely a hammer. The gruesome scene painted a clear picture. Whoever had killed Kelly had done so out of rage and a personal vendetta against her. Sheila was looking more and more like a psychopathic killer with every new development that unfolded. Sheila was arrested and brought in for questioning. From the interrogation room, she made a call to her son and told him that she was being charged with first-degree murder and would be in jail for a long time. But she told her son not to believe any of it, and uh, it wasn't true. And that she had not really murdered Kelly. She was sticking with this clairvoyant story and maintained that her only connection to the murder was having this dream about it. So she hires this defense attorney named Todd Derritani to represent her case in court. And I um, looked up Mr. Todd Deratani on social media and um, his twitter profile picture he's holding a cake that looks like boobs so yeah he seems like a really good guy to hire
0: for your murder um defense yeah that's you know he's got personality i'll give him that yeah
1: so he was unable to actually go through with defending sheila because sometime between the time she hired him and the time that she was supposed to go to court the florida state supreme court had him permanently disbarred for taking people's money and then failing to represent him so besides being an attorney um I mean, thankfully, he had another job. So when he was disbarred, it wasn't the end of the road for him. Uh, he also owns a used car lot down there in the Indian atlantic area. Wasn't it called um, big boys cars or bad boys cars or something? It was big boys with a Z.
0: Yeah. I trust nothing that changes S's disease. Even like especially kids places when they do kids with a Z. I'm like, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. we're not <laughs> not going here. So investigators went to work trying to piece together the evidence against Sheila. Unfortunately, there was very little in the way of forensic evidence and there was no DNA that would actually link Sheila to Kelly's murder. There was no witnesses to the alleged crime and a murder weapon was never located. Before he was disbarred, Attorney of the Year Todd Deritani stated that he believed the prosecution had no case and there was plenty of reasonable doubt. In his opinion, this was a dream case. Pun intended. Yeah, for a defense attorney, and he was confident that he could get Sheila acquitted. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> that not How would this be a dream case? No, literally a dream case. Yeah. <laughs> so the prosecution, however, has a very different opinion. They gathered what little evidence they could find and put together a timeline and theory as to what had actually transpired between Sheila and Kelly. They knew that Kelly had made a phone call at 7.48 p.m. on the night of her murder, and they had learned that she would typically leave for her house around 8.15 p.m. to get to her appointment with her trainer at the gym. Oh, a nighttime workout? Yeah, I would so never strange. make an – I don't make an appointment for anything at 8.15, but definitely not an appointment to work out. I do. My bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So when her body was discovered, she was actually wearing her gym clothes, so the prosecution believed that she was killed sometime in between those two times. They observed further evidence that Kelly had been attacked outside of her own home, possibly when she was trying to get into her vehicle to head to the gym. There were divots in the grass on Kelly's front lawn as well as blood stains. They believe that Sheila had intentionally gone to Kelly's residence, waited outside for her in the dark, and ambushed her when she made her way to her SUV. After attacking her multiple times with a hammer, it's believed that Sheila then placed Kelly's body inside of her own SUV and drove down to Mark's Landing, where she dumped the body. Kelly's blood was located on the passenger side floorboard of her SUV, supporting this theory. After Sheila disposed of the body, she then drove Kelly's SUV to a random condo parking lot and left it there. Smart. Yeah. Yeah genius yeah it's been a while since i've had a baby of my own and some days i miss it so much the baby cuddles and baby smiles but when it comes to diaper rashes not so much i remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash i was really devastated
1: Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more.
0: Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home?
1: Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. During the investigation, Sheila alleged that she would have no reason to kill Kelly because it was her who had actually set Kelly and Dan up in the first place.
0: I love that part. Like, we're supposed to be like, oh, yeah, you have like a tumultuous relationship with your husband and you're going to set him up with your best friend.
1: Right. Yeah, okay. Like, that made no sense whatsoever. Um, she claimed that she encouraged Kelly to start a relationship with her ex-husband because she thought they would be good for each other. And she knew that Kelly would be good with her two sons. So she says she thought that it would be the perfect situation. It would be like for her sons, you know, to have. Well,
0: I, I could start to buy that part of it. Like if you think you're leaving your spouse and you're going to be worried about your kids, you don't want, oh my gosh, my husband has terrible taste in women present company included, I would be terrified of who he would pick to have around our kids. So. Well, they were 16 and 18, though, so yeah.
1: it's not like they really need a whole lot of mothering from a stranger, you know, at this yeah. point. Like, they still have She's their still mom. around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not like a little They're baby. Not little, exactly. Yeah. So the prosecuting attorneys did not buy this, and they believed that uh, her story of being Little Miss Matchmaker was all part of her scheme to cover up what she had actually done. They believed that she had been seething over the affair that Dan and Kelly were having. I would agree that's probably closer She's, to the truth. She seemed like a seer. Yes, yeah, she did. And that her absolute anger and rage over it led her to murder. When asked what to make of the fact that there was no evidence, uh, like DNA and all that, um, the prosecuting attorney said that the lack of forensic evidence only suggested to her uh, just how premeditated this crime was. Um, that Sheila had planned this murder down to the last detail, knew what she was doing, had specifically taken measures to avoid having DNA evidence. Right. Which I can get behind that. Like, I can see, like, you know, because because their whole thing, of course, her defense is like, there's nothing to prove that she was there. There's nothing there to connect her to the murder. You know, all of this other than, you know, this dream that she had, but she said, right. And literally said, go to go to Mark's Landing. You're going to find Kelly's body there. I dreamt it like,
0: OK. And how many times did she say, if it wasn't for me, they would have never even found her. It's yeah. one square mile. Yeah. They <laughs> were going to find her. They were. Yeah, somebody would have found her. While Sheila
1: was in jail being held on charges of first-degree murder and awaiting trial, it, she um, actually penned a letter that was several pages in length in which she outlined her account of what had happened that night. She claimed that her memory had now returned, and she was clear on what happened, and it was actually a completely different story than the original I had a dream speech that she had given to her family and police. In the letter, she said that her dream was actually a memory of someone else killing Kelly while she looked on from a distance. Uh, she wrote that she had gone to Kelly's home that night to ask her to stop coming by her house looking for Dan, but when she arrived, she saw that a man was already in the process of attacking Kelly, but she claims that for some unknown reason, uh, she did nothing to stop the attack and did not call the police, but she said she did not know why. I Can don't you know hear why my eyes rolling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she further went on to claim that she followed, she, after she had witnessed this this terrible attack Horrible on thing. her best friend. She claimed that she followed the killer and watched as this person uh, dumped Kelly's body in Mark's landing. So she just was sitting in her car following, just watching all this. Isn't doing anything. Yeah. Doesn't ever think, like, I should call the cops. You have enough sense
0: to follow. Well, actually, that's not a lot of sense. To follow, yeah. to yeah. see where, like, <laughs> let's see where this brings us. You yeah. Know? And then... You're not going to call the police on the way to say I'm following somebody dumping my best friend off and the future stepmother to my children. Give me a break. So during the trial, Sheila's two sons took the stand actually against her. They each gave their account of the night and the way their mother had been acting and how it was so strange. And they were super concerned that night about her, obviously. And they called 911 several times because they didn't know what was wrong with her. From the stand, one of her sons also dropped a bombshell that they hadn't even told police until shortly before the trial. He stated that when Sheila kept talking about Mark's landing and Kelly being hurt, he offered to drive her down there so that she could take a look around and ease her mind that it was just a dream and that Kelly was okay. Sheila, her two sons, and her son's girlfriend all got in the car and took a field trip to Mark's landing. And with Sheila leading the way, they had stumbled upon Kelly's body, at which point the two boys told their mother they wanted nothing to do with this and that she would have to figure it out herself.
1: Okay, again, okay, I know they're her sons, but one of them's 18, like- I mean, I guess I—that's I, a hard situation. If my mom ta- if, if your mom did this, and like—and then all of a sudden, like, you go there and like you actually find a, a dead body, like, I don't know, I would do. I'm a little not more, covering it up. No, I would do a little more than just say, "Well, this—you're on your own." Like, I know. you know, like, I'm never doing the dishes again. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't understand like how the ki- nobody thinks to call the police. Nobody yeah. is. Nobody tells anybody like. That's one of the more bizarre parts of this whole thing, I think. So Sheila decides to not take the stand in her trial. Um, good idea. Todd Deritani later said that he believed she didn't testify because the letter she wrote in prison was a confession and that she had definitely committed this murder. So he changed his tune quite oh, a bit. Oh, he did. He was like, dream case, you're guilty. Yeah he,
1: was, yeah, he pretty much at the end was like, no, she did it. Like, <laughs> the only reason you would write down all this crap is because you're guilty. It's a confession.
0: Yeah. So yeah, whenever he did that and he was all confident, I'm like, hang on, bud. Hang on. Yeah.
1: (laughs) The defense attempted to prove that someone else had committed the murder by pointing fingers at Kelly's husband, who they claimed would have had a good reason to kill her because she was having an affair with Dan. However, surveillance from a Walgreens in another town proved that Gino had not been anywhere near Kelly's home during the time of the murder. Sheila's mom maintained a positive attitude throughout the trial and believed that her daughter would be acquitted and would be coming back home to Canada. That
0: poor lady was living in a dreamland. She
1: was. I know. Sadly for her, um, the jury came back after three hours of deliberating and returned a guilty verdict. The judge sentenced Sheila on the spot to life in prison, and um, she still maintains her innocence to this day and says that she believes the real murderer is still out there. Uh, Sheila is a moron. (laughs) Don't be like Sheila.
0: Oh, gosh. That sounds like a (laughs) Melissa line if I've ever heard it. Yeah. Wow. That is... You gotta wonder: um, Had she not had this premonition, aka confession, would they ever have been able to tie it to her?
1: If there was no DNA, so I mean, well, as soon as they figured out that this she was having affairs affair, and stuff, right? To be they a suspect, yeah, exactly. The cops are gonna figure things out, and they're bored over there. They probably don't have a lot to do in Indian <laughs> Atlantic. <laughs>
0: they got a whole mile to deal with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so I think they would have figured it out. Yeah, no, but it is weird, like. I don't know you've you've managed to murder somebody cover it up do all this not leave DNA now you're gonna literally tell 911's called to your house three times yeah I know <laughs> you're banging your head into a wall lady you gotta calm down yeah yeah
1: I know well and that was the thing too oh and then whenever they said that she went to Walmart and it was a, she had come home from this like four-hour trip to Walmart I'm like nobody's doing anything at Walmart for four hours I only I don't even want to spend four minutes in, in a Walmart you're
0: in and out as quick I mean well, the lines take a while
1: Ikea it You spend like four, four hours, hours yeah. yeah.
0: I know. It's like purgatory. Yeah. I hate Walmart so much. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So, wow. That was a very interesting case, Mandy. Super excited that it happened in Florida because yeah. we can't <laughs> get enough of that. Like, we keep trying to leave Florida, and guess what? That's just where all the best stories come it's from. Too many interesting things. Yeah. I agree. So we have a couple last things before we go. So this comes from Tiffany P. in our Facebook group. Uh, Name a time that you felt like the worst mom in the world and later thought you were being dramatic. So I'm going to tweak this just a little to do parenting mistakes that you've made that maybe haunt you forever. I've got one. Okay. You'll see what I mean. Um, So one time my son wanted to go down the slide and for some reason he wanted me to go with him. I I know I've told you about this. (laughs) And I put my backpack on and it's like this really steep slide and uh, I'm kind of holding him. think he would have been like 15 months or something so he's in front of me well as we go I guess (laughs) I'm quite a bit heavier than a 15 month old and his legs go under and bend underneath and so the rest of the way his like (laughs) it's it's like the most horrifying you know feeling with his legs underneath going down the slide and I get down and he's I mean hysterically crying. And the first thing I do is stand him up and he drops to the ground. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've broken this kid's legs. So I did the natural thing, which is immediately stand him up again. (laughs) He drops again. And then, you know, crying hysterically, somebody walks by judgmental eyes completely like, why is a six foot tall woman going down a slide? Big old idiot. And uh, so anyway, he, he walked, and his legs are not broken. But it was one of those, like, how could you be so st- – like, parenting one on one? Monsters that big should not go on slides with itty-bitty babies. So, yeah, I learned my lesson, but I think back to that a lot. It's just <laughs> so shocking. That's- Mandy loves that story, apparently.
1: I do. Oh, my gosh. I can't stop laughing. I mean, it's like, <laughs> just because I can – I know, like –
0: you know exactly where I was too, right? Probably. Yeah, it's one of the. It's just horrifying, like because things like, cause things like that. Though, but it's like once it's happening, like you, you can't, can't stop you it. Can't do anything,
1: and then you do think about it, and you're like, "That was so stupid. <laughs> I should not have done that." Okay. Oh. Um, I don't have any stories like that. <laughs> well,
0: that does not help.
1: <laughs> um, but no. There's, um, I mean, I have like, just like stupid parenting moments that I've
0: done, but um,
1: one of the most recent ones I did was we had gone to the beach and, um, you know, I'm very, very vigilant about putting sunscreen on my kids. Like, and, um, my husband doesn't help me with that task. (laughs) I have to remember on my own to like, remember that the kids need to be, have sunscreen reapplied and all that stuff. So I'm always the one running around like a crazy person, like rubbing them down with sunscreen well we had this particular day like we had been out there a while and I reapplied at least three times well I guess on my younger son I like I don't know I and now thinking back I'm like did I ever put sunscreen on his legs or
0: not? don't you love that kind of thing where you're like well, maybe
1: yeah and so um so we get home like at night and like they take a bath or whatever and like he's like mom my legs really hurt like the back of my legs hurt and I'm like okay I'm like well let me look at your legs they are burnt. I mean, like to a crisp, but like, the rest of his body is fine. Like yeah. I covered everything else, Like the back of his legs is so red. They're like, it's like almost purple. And I'm like freaking Aww. out. Like I was like, oh my gosh, like I feel so terrible. And like, yeah. I know that hurts, you know? And so I really was freaking out. And so of course I put on all the aloe and all this stuff and like just covered him in it, you know? And I was like rub- patting his skin with vinegar Aww. to like take away the sting Aww. and like all this stuff. And I felt so bad. And thankfully I don't, it must've been the vinegar. I think apple cider vinegar. Because the next day, he actually – it was almost gone. Like, it wasn't that bad. Right. But, um, I mean, it was still burnt. But I just felt so terrible. Like, I was like, how could I take my kid to the beach and then, like, not – but Yeah. And then you start thinking about, like, all the what-ifs. And I'm like, what if I had, like, really forgot to put it, like, all over his body? And, like, you know, then you start, like, panicking. And I'm like, am I fit to take children to
0: the beach? Like, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) These are – but these are, like, real things that absolutely do happen. You know, my little guy's a redhead, so I'm always, like, super, super terrified that he's – I mean, he gets burnt every time we go anywhere. It doesn't yeah. matter how much I put on him. But yeah, but that's like the exact same thing. After you do it, you're like, Uh, oh, did I put it yeah. here? <laughs> like Behind his ears. I have to do like really weird things with my son. But yeah oh man, I totally get that feeling. Cause you like, it's totally your fault.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's <laughs> your fault. like there's nobody else to blame. Like I'm like, this is definitely falls on my responsibility.
0: And you're like, mom, why did this happen? I know. Oh, we're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so we have one more and I really like this. Um, in Roxana in our Facebook group, Roxana C, she's being a little aggressive with us. She said, I put this in a few weeks ago, but I'm going to be stubborn and submit it again. Well, We don't always take yelling, but our kids yell at us, and normally that gets us to work, so we'll do it. (laughs) So based on your child's current obsession, what will their future occupation be? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Is there a butt picker? (laughs) Because I got one of those. Um, What? Do you have any? Um. Well, mine are going to be professional video game. Oh players, yeah, yeah.
1: And if they're if they really hit it big, they're going to also be playing video games on YouTube for the rest of their life because that's literally the only thing they care about right now.
0: Um. I'm with you. My daughter is Minecraft obsessed, and your son they're buddies with it. My son's new favorite thing to say is. Um, Things. wait what does he say what's the in? sign off on YouTube like uh subscribe and whatever oh, now yeah, I'm yeah. like oh dear god like that's how I think that's how he thinks to say goodbye now yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's
1: like a whole thing like, it's like a new greeting it is for, like...
0: yeah my son is obsessed with like all things uh car and stuff so I would say based on that he would be a mechanic and my daughter is obsessed with I don't know gymnastics right now she knows yeah. she's really into gymnastics so I would say a gymnast but that seems dangerous I don't want that
1: yeah I know. I mean other than that my kids just like regular kid stuff. Like they want to swim all the time. All so the time? maybe maybe they'll be Olympic swimmers. Yeah. Which make me much happier than a professional YouTube video game player. Yeah. I mean they can make some money, Mandy. <laughs> yeah, that's true actually. Treat them well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I should be fostering this. I know. <laughs> my husband will see where it says like 82 million YouTube viewers and he's like, "We could do that." And I'm like, "You got to stop doing this." <laughs> Like we could do that. I'm like, he and my daughter wanted to start a YouTube channel once and they fought the entire time just coming up with a name up. It was so <laughs> terrible. I'm like, and you want to do this every week. He's like, she just won't do what I'm wanting her to do. I'm like, because she want to make money and she wants to have fun. So yeah. that's- <laughs> we're just great parents all around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thanks for sending those in guys. And uh, we will be back in one week. Oh, we're back to weekly now. Yay. I mean, we're cheering more, and we're excited. We are. We are excited. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just a lot of work. I know. Yeah, I It'll know.
0: I got a new computer though, Yay! so I thank you, happy. Patreon.
1: Yeah, so I'm super happy to uh, helped have that. So. And it's always fun when you have, like, a new thing. And then, like, for a while, you're, like, really excited to use it. So, yeah. like, I'm trying to keep writing that way while I still feel that way. Yeah. So now I'm, like, I love my new computer. I just want to get to work and type and, like, do all this stuff. So I'm trying to do as much of that as possible while I still feel like it.
0: I'm fostering <laughs> that and just being a terrible mother on the side. So uh, thanks so much for sending those in, guys. We'll have this for next week as well. Um, and we have a promo this week from our friend Nikki with Strictly Homicide. So stay Notorious around. Notorious Nikki T. No, no. Ugh. I'm like, I can't even talk anymore. I'm just like <laughs> slurring and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, so check out that promo at the end of the episode. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. I'm Nikki T, the host of
1: Strictly Homicide, a narrative true crime podcast that covers the lesser known cases that have happened in the natural state. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all major podcast apps. Visit StrictlyHomicide.com or find us on social media by searching Strictly Homicide Podcast. Until then, stay safe, especially you,
0: Arkansas. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode.